0: Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for March 1st, 2020. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message called Doctrine of the Church, Charismatic Gifts, God's Healing. Now, Brother Omar answers the questions, is every Christian guaranteed healing? And what if we do not receive healing when we pray? And finally, what is our responsibility as Christians towards those who are afflicted by pain and suffering? So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way.
1: We are continuing our series on the charismatic gifts and we're talking about the gift of healing. This would probably be the last sermon on healing. I just wanna sort of pick up from where I left off last time. One thing I like to say is each one of these topics or issues that we're dealing with can go on forever. We've sort of did surface type of scraping, I guess. We just scraped the surface a little bit. Tongues, healings, miracles, all these things. There's plenty of resources. This could go on for a long time. But for the sake of time, um, because we don't want to be here for a whole year, uh, this would probably be the last sermon on this. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to cover a little bit Kind of build on what I said last time and deal with some of the issues that typically are taught or believed when people speak of healing. And one thing that I like to do is speak a little bit on the issue of whether or not healing is something that is guaranteed uh, for every believer that is commonly taught in Pentecostalslash charismatic churches. The idea that if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, then healing is available for you by faith, and you just have to claim it, and you'll receive it, or whatnot. So, just a brief summary. Uh, the miraculous gifts, as we've been studying, were given to the church during the book of Acts time period for a specific purpose and reason. That is to corroborate them and authenticate their message as the Word of God. Having met that purpose, the miraculous gifts, as they operated then, have ceased. Now, what that means is not that God no longer can do these miracles. It's just the way that they operated in the church uh, and the way that they operated in the ministry of the apostles. That purpose was met, and therefore, they're no longer operating in that way. Now, There are people, obviously, who would disagree with that statement, hence the term charismatic. They would believe that the gifts are available the same way to us as it was to them. Nevertheless, even charismatics have to admit that the things that we saw in the ministry of the apostles are things that we don't see today commonly. For example, the raising people from the dead. I know there are some people who claim that they're raising people from the dead all the time, but we don't see those type of really miraculous things that the church was doing in the book of Acts. We don't see them as common practice today. We also don't see people writing inspired scripture either. And everybody would agree that the Bible has been finished and nobody else is adding to it. And so in a sense, even if you're a charismatic, you have to admit that at least in one sense, the gift At least one gift, which is the gift of writing inspired Scripture, has ceased. Nobody else is writing the Word of God. The Word of God is finished. So, nevertheless, what we're going to do is we're going to look at whether or not healing is a guarantee for every Christian and whether or not, or what is the healing ministry that we as a church are supposed to carry out. We have a healing ministry. The Lord commands us to reach out to those who are sick and afflicted. So we do have that in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, the Lord Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says these these words to them. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the Bible speaks much on the issue of caring for the sick and for the afflicted, okay? Uh, You don't have to read much into the Word of God in order to see this everywhere declared, if you want to see it. Of course, we ignore it, but if you want to see it, you can see this everywhere declared. In fact, James says that the only true religion, the only time this word religion appears in the Bible, uh, the only true religion that the Father honors, according to the Bible, is the caring for the poor and the needy in their affliction. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word affliction, do you see here in the Greek here, means suffering, pain, or troubles. It may be caused by persecution or destitute, but it also may be caused by disease and sickness. And surely in the ancient times, disease was something that was very troubling. Of course, it was not... You know, hygiene and things like that, that today we take for granted was not available then. So disease and sickness and infirmities was a major cause of people's troubles, of people's afflictions. So the true religion or the purest form of worship to God the Father, which is undefiled in his eyes, is to visit the sick and the widows and the poor in their affliction. So the question is, why would this be? Well, the answer is given by Jesus in Matthew 25. To do it to them is to do it to Him. So to serve the needy, the afflicted, and the sick is to serve Christ. To love them is to love Christ. To care for them is to care for Christ. Christ, the God of this universe, has identified Himself with the afflicted and the sick so much that to serve them is to serve Him. So therefore, that is the purest form of worship, is to serve Christ. And he says, you do that by serving the sick, the afflicted, and the needy. Okay. Now, that does not mean, of course, that would include that we should pray for the sick and that we should pray for their healing. Of course, we should. But when the Bible says to visit the sick and the needy, it's not just simply saying that we should just pray for them, tell them to claim their healing and their blessing, and move on. The word visit in the Greek has several ways that it's used. It could mean to inspect or to go see. But it could also mean to take care of or provide care for something or someone. So when the Bible says visit the sick and the needy, it's not just saying to go and look at them or see them. It's also saying to provide care for To make sure the needs, as best is available to you, can be taken care of. That's what visit means. Jesus said, I was sick and you visited me. In other words, you provided care for me. Okay? How do we provide and care for Jesus? When we do it to the least of these. So to visit the afflicted and the sick is to go and see them, to inspect or check up on their condition and provide as much care as we can and with whatever resources possible to provide for their necessary care. Now, the instruction here is not just given to individual Christians. This is told to the church as a collective whole. The job of the church as a collective is to take whatever resources that we've been given by God And to usher them out to visit and take care of the sick and the needy. This is the healing ministry of the church. To go out and to take care of those who are sick and needy in whatever way possible. All right. To do that to them is to do that for Christ. This is the pure and undefiled worship that the Father finds delight on. So we want to delight God the Father. Yahweh. This is how to do it. All right. To do it for them is to do it for Christ. So this is the healing ministry that we as a church are commanded by God to carry out. And that is the loving and compassionate caring of those who are afflicted. The fact is, disease, affliction, and pain are realities of life. If you live in this planet, in one way or another... Disease, affliction, or pain are going to be part of your life. Either you personally, somebody that you love, somebody close to you, a friend, a loved one. These things are going to be part of your life, whether we like it or not. All right? It's reality. And the problem is, in many circles, Christian circles, we try to deny reality. I remember some years ago, my mother had a friend. Uh, who would, every time my mom would say something like, I feel sick, uh, or I think you know, there's something going on, or whatever she would say, don't say that. Because if you say it, right, then you, it'll happen. So what you need to do is then you need to say, I'm healthy, right? So if you feel sick, if you feel pain, don't confess that. Just simply say, I'm healthy, or I'm not sick, right? Problem is, that's not reality, right? If you're sick, and if you have, you're have, diagnosed with something, saying that you don't have it, don't change the fact that you have it. It's reality, okay? And so she would say, and I remember this, I've I seen this actually happening in conversations, and I saw my mom's frustration, too, because she would be like, no, you, you're declaring bad things. You have to declare good things. You have to declare good things. So... This is the type of ideas that we see out there, and it's almost like a superstition, right? I'm sick, I can't say it, I have to declare. Or if you're not sick and you say, you know, if I do this, I might get cancer. See, now you're going to get cancer because you said it, right? So this type of superstitious type of talk is very prevalent among many circles, including Pentecostal and charismatic circles, all right? Uh, Confessing declaring and all these things are not found in scripture sadly my mother's friend years later passed away from cancer so she no she was a christian obviously and she went with the lord but the confessing the speaking thing doesn't change the reality of life pain suffering, disease, infirmities are all going to be part of our lives, whether we like it or not. If you live in this planet, no matter where you live, we can. the best thing that we can do is try to soften it, is try to deal with it, is try to handle it. But whether we like it or not, in one way or another, we will experience these things and the Bible speaks to them and gives us the tools to deal with them and to offer comfort to those who are in need. So, The issue of disease, like I said, are part of reality. There is no biblical guarantee for physical healing. There is no faith healing ministry in the New Testament. You know, like these ministries where you go to get your healing. Um, These gifts were given to corroborate the ministry of the apostles. But the Bible gives us the hope and the comfort that we need to deal with these things. In our lives and also to offer the comfort to others all right so is healing guaranteed all right the teaching that healing is guaranteed to every Christian is a charismatic Pentecostal doctrine okay is the basis for all their healing ministries is the basis for prosperity gospel and which is why originally it was called the health and wealth gospel health and wealth you know that you acquire these things by faith they believe that Christ on the cross, this is the basis of the teaching, Christ on the cross not only took your sins, but also took your diseases. This is what it's taught. Okay? That when Christ died, he didn't only bore your sins on the cross, but he also bore your infirmities. And as a result of that, you're guaranteed healing the same way you're guaranteed forgiveness of sins by faith. Let me give you some quotes. This is from Kenneth Copeland. He says this, and I quote, sadly, many Christians have, falsely, has been, have been falsely accusing God of being the cause of their troubles. They wrongly believe that trials and tribulations are God's tools for developing and strengthening our character. This is absolutely against the word of God. Why? Because the very basic principle of the Christian life is to know, is to know that God put our sin, sickness, disease, sorrow, grief, and poverty on Jesus at Calvary. For God to put any of these on us now to teach us or to strengthen our faith would be a miscarriage of, du- of justice. To believe that God has purpose for sickness would mean that Jesus bore our sickness in vain. What an insult to His love and compassion for us. Unquote. What, is he, what he's saying is pretty simple. For a Christian to believe that if you're sick and not healed, even after you play, pray and conclude, perhaps that God may have a purpose for your disease, then you would believe that Christ died in vain. Notice how he also includes not only disease, but poverty, sorrow, and grief, etc. So if Christ took these on the cross, that means that you shouldn't have them. The same way that Christ took our sins on the cross, that's why you're forgiven from your sins. If he took your diseases, they will say then you shouldn't be sick. is another quote from Andrew Womack. He says this, The Lord redeemed us from sickness just as much as He redeemed us from sin. He would no more want us to be sick than He would want us to sin. These are radical statements to many Christians because we've been taught that forgiveness of sins is what salvation is all about. Well, certainly that is a vital part of salvation. But that's not all that Jesus accomplished. We're also healed by His stripes. Sickness is not of God, just as sin is not of God. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? So there's your teaching. Jesus took your sins. He also took your diseases. You can be forgiven by faith. You should also be healed by faith. Same way the forgiveness of sins is guaranteed to anybody who believes, they would say, so is healing guaranteed to everybody who believes. Now, the verse that they're alluding to is from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Isaiah 53, verse 4 is the verse that they're all alluding to that is used in many circles to teach this doctrine. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says this, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed Him str- stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by His wounds we are healed. Okay? Okay? This is the verse that is often quoted to teach that we're promised and guaranteed healing because of the death of Christ on the cross. 1 Peter 2, which is another verse, Peter quotes Isaiah, and he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So by his wounds, you have been healed. Now, the text is plain. There's no way around it. It says that by his wounds, we are healed. That's pretty straightforward. Christ's wounds have healed you. The question is, from what? What is the healing that this verse Both verses are talking about. Now, if you look at the context of both Peter and Isaiah, you will see that they're not talking about disease or physical ailments. In chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, if you go to verse 1, Peter begins this way. He says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he begins by talking about obedience. He's begin by talking about holiness, by putting away hypocrisy and envy and slander. Verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's speaking about obedience. He's speaking about not living like the world. He's speaking about being obedient to Christ. He goes on to talk about obeying authorities, governments, masters. And then he says this verse 21. For you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The the context is clear. He's talking about living a life of righteousness that honors God that we are to follow in the example of Christ. Why or how can we do this? Because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Christ bore our sins on the cross that we might die to them and live for him. We have been healed from the wounds of sin. So the healing, nowhere in the context is anything about physical ailments. The healing that we are receiving by the wounds of Christ is our healing from sin, that we might die to it and live to righteousness. Okay? Peter, in many ways, is interpreting Isaiah for us. Isaiah says, uh, chapter 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, he carried our sorrows, we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. He bore our sorrows and grief, which Peter here interprets as sin. Sorrows and griefs are the result of sin. He was pierced for pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. With his wounds, we are healed. Healed from what? Our transgressions and iniquities. In other words, our sin. Chapter 53, nor 1 Peter 2 have anything to do with physical ailments, disease, or infirmities. It's talking about sin. Isaiah 53 is a poetic expression of of what Christ did for us on the cross. He heals us from what? From sin and the results of sin by bearing our sin upon Himself and gives, and gives us forgiveness and salvation. If you look at the context, there's no talk about Jesus taking our diseases or guaranteeing physical healing as the result of the atonement. If that were to be the case, then you would receive physical healing the same way you receive forgiveness of sins, by faith. And therefore, it would be guaranteed since it is appropriated by the same work on the cross. Right? If you follow that even further, a lack of healing then would be a lack of faith. And if you go even further to its logical conclusion, since both healing and forgiveness of sins are bound up in the same work of atonement, And to be appropriated under the same condition, then a lack of healing is a lack of faith. A lack of faith is a lack of forgiveness of sins, which would be a lack of salvation. Now, most people won't take it that far to its logical conclusion. But if you were to follow the teaching all the way through, this is where you end up. If I, I pray and I don't get healed, that means that I don't have genuine faith. And if it's bound up in the same work, then you shouldn't have forgiveness of sin. If you don't have forgiveness of sins, then you wouldn't have salvation. Like I said, most people won't say that. But that's the logical conclusion of the doctrine if you were to follow it through. Now there's another place in Scripture where Isaiah is quoting saying something similar. I'll say something briefly just for the sake of time. He says it's this in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. It says this, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now this quotation is understood to be from Isaiah 53. He bore our sorrows and griefs. Now, this is not obviously referring to the atonement because Jesus was yet to go to the cross. This happened during his earthly ministry that he was conducting in Israel. Okay? He took the illnesses and diseases of the people of Israel during his earthly ministry as a fulfillment of a messianic prophecy. In other words, this is what the Messiah is going to do when he comes to Israel. He's going to take our illnesses, he's gonna take our diseases by how? By healing them. This happens before the cross. So Matthew is not, he's just using this quotation to prove to the readers that this Jesus was the Messiah. How do we know this? He's healing people, right? He's healing people, he's doing miracles, he's doing signs, he's doing wonders. This corroborates his role as the Messiah for Israel. This is happening before the cross and Matthew does not tie it up to the work of the cross. So this verse does not guarantee healing for everybody who believes either. Okay, It's just a verse used to prove Jesus as the Messiah. Okay, this It is a fulfillment of prophecy that shows Jesus to be the Messiah of Israel and not a guarantee of physical healing. Now, Explaining this in our day only happens because of this teaching. Throughout history, and reality being what it is, we know that every single person who prays for healing necessarily does not get healed. right? We know there are Christians who love the Lord who are in wheelchairs, who've been in wheelchairs all their lives. We know people that were born with physical ailments and conditions who are believers and who are Christians. This is the reality. And the only conclusion one would have to make if you hold to this teaching is these people don't have faith enough to receive their healing. I find that to be spiritual torture because it's almost abusive. I mean, I've known people that would say, I don't get healed. Why? Could there be something wrong with me? Am I sinning? Do I have sin in my life? Do I, not? I don't have the proper faith. When in reality... None of that has anything to do with the fact that you have a physical ailment. It's a reality of the world in which we live. And contrary to what Kenneth Copeland may say, God may have a purpose for your physical ailment. The reason that you're in a wheelchair could be God's way of doing ministry through you somehow, or showing His glory to the world somehow, right? Right. And all things that happen, this is why it's important to understand the doctrine of providence, and all things that happen, God is moving them forward for His glory. So in your life, even things like hardship and toil and pain and suffering, when we pray through them, and if we don't receive healing, we understand that God is working His purposes for His glory and our greater good eventually. All right? So none of these means, by the way, That God does not heal. Right? He does. He healed before Christ. He heals after the atonement. Not because you declare it or claim it, but because of His love and mercy. He heals in accordance to His providence, omniscience, and sovereignty. And most of all, because He's loving and knows what is best for His people. There are times, interestingly, I saw this yesterday in Philippians chapter 2. There are times that God heals people not only for their sake, but for the sake of those around them. Sometimes you may be sick and God may heal you, not because of you, but because of your wife, but because of your children. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 25, Paul says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's partner Fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister in the word was sick almost to death. Paul didn't say to him, claim your healing, right? Just claim your healing by faith. God says, God, Paul says, God had mercy on him, but not only on him, but also on me, lest I should be too broken hearted. God, have mercy on my heart by healing my brother that I've been all these years, that we fought together, we prayed together, we've been persecuted together. He's laid hands on me. He's my fellow soldier. He got sick. He was almost dying, he says. But God, have mercy on him and on me also. Sometimes God heals not only for our sake, but for the sake of others. Sometimes God also heals by calling his people home. This is also a reality. The Bible says the righteous perish. They do. We all will. All of us. The reality is sometimes God brings his people home. Um, There is a false teaching. The healing is a right that you need to claim. Here's a quote by Joyce Myers. She says this, "'How do you stand against sickness? For starters, plead the blood of Jesus against the sickness in every other part of your body, your immune system, your organs, your blood cells, and so on. Then speak the word over your body. You can pray, "'Father, I believe it's your will that I be in health. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus I am healed. Your word is health and life to my body, and it will accomplish that which you please and purpose.'" The idea that healing is a right is not taught in Scripture. Okay? You do not have a right to be healed. All right? It's a misapplication of Scripture, as we have seen. It's also spiritual torture to those who are believers, that are on wheelchairs, suffering from congenital diseases, and are born with certain conditions. Worse still, it is a dismissal of the real. Healing ministry of the church, which is to visit those who are in affliction and sick, to weep with those who weep, and to bring comfort to those who need it. A lot of times this is used to dismiss people. You're sick, you got to claim it. That's easy, right? I don't have to deal with you. I don't have to be there with you. I don't have to pray with you and pray through and hear you cry and ask why this is happening to me. I don't have to provide for you with whatever monies I may have. I can just dismiss you by saying, claim your healing, come to my church service or whatever. And you can be at home by yourself. See, that's the problem when Scripture is taken lightly and it's just verses are used sporadically without looking at the context, studying and reading it, and then seeing what the Word of God and what God would have us do. Because sometimes it's messy. Sometimes people are sick and we have to be there for them all the way through. If they get better, glory to God. And we rejoice in that and we'll have a good time. If they don't, then also glory to God. And we'll cry with them and we'll weep with them. That is the ministry of the church. That's how we are light to the world, by the way. Isaiah 58.10 says this, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Could it be that the reason we're no longer light in this world is because we have neglected the first part? And it's not talking just about us in this church, although we need to take heed. But the church as a whole, we are to comfort, encourage, empathize with those who are afflicted. Relatives, loved ones who may be sick and dying, we are to be there for them, pray for them, help them, provide for them. And as a church, as much as we can to be there for them. That is the healing ministry of the church. This is how God is going to heal the nation is through his church, extending her hands to the world and comfort and comforting and being there and praying for them, all right? Um, we are to be there for them, pray for them, help them, provide for them, and as a church, as much as we can, if they are not saved, we use whatever opportunities we may get to give them the gospel. And to those who are saved, we remind them of the gospel. The gospel offers the ultimate healing. Our bodies are decaying. If you're in your 20s, you don't think your body is decaying. When you get to your 40s, it starts hitting you, your body is decaying. Once you get to your 50s, you're having a hard time accepting the fact your body has already decayed. (laughs) Right? I saw pictures of... uh, My parents got pictures of all of us, and I was looking at it. I was like in my 20s or something. I was like, wow, the Bible is right (laughs) about our bodies decaying. Our bodies are decaying. We're born into a sinful world. Our genes, our bodies, our genetics are not perfect. They're decaying, are affected by sin, and therefore pain, disease, and all these things are part of life. The gospel, on the other hand, offers the solution to that. Revelation 21, verse 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God. Prepare as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, nor pain, Anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and and true. He said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the water for the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The promise of the gospel is that there will be a time where there's not going to be any pain, any suffering, any mourning, and any crying, and all the crying that we've done in this life. Christ himself says he's going to wipe our tears, and he's going to be with us. And He's going to be our God. And He's going to dwell with us one day. And He's going to take all the all things, pain, suffering, mourning, etc. He's going to make them all new. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the healing that God offers. And in the meantime, between now and when we get there one day, our job is to offer this hope to a dying world. Because the world is dying. Our bodies are dying and are decaying. And our hope is in this gospel and in this truth. And our job is to offer this to the world. And also, along with this truth, to offer actual comfort for the physical necessities of this life. This is why God gives us resources for us to put together. For us to be able to reach a dying world with our resources that we have been given. Which, unfortunately, we tend to hoard as a church. We hoard all these resources when we should be giving them out. Because that's how God blessed us for us to be a blessing. Also, we are to offer the hope that we have. Psalm 73 says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's the only thing that we have that is the hope in this dying world. My, I love it what he says, my flesh, my heart may fail. So notice the flesh, okay, your body, my heart, what is that? Your emotions. Some people don't need... Physical healing. Some people need emotional healing. Because we're affected by not only physical disease or ailments. We're also affected by emotional ailments. And the writer here says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My emotions and my heart may fail, my physical body may fail, but He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the hope. In the meanwhile, we operate in this hope. And so, in conclusion, is healing guaranteed for every single person who is saved? No. Is healing available, or should we pray for healing? Yes. Should we pray for those who are sick? The Bible says yes. We should anoint them with oil, and we should pray for them. Should we believe God for healing? Yes. Is every single person going to receive it? Not necessarily. That's the truth. What do we do when that happens? We offer comfort. We offer comfort. Is every single person gonna be that, that is a Christian, a believer, going to be free and absolutely 100% healthy? No. There are Christians who are in wheelchair. There are Christians who have physical ailments. There are Christians who endure all sorts of suffering, have to take medication. They're undergoing cancer treatment, etc. All those believers have a hope in Christ for the ultimate and final healing that God is going to provide when one day He comes back. He lifts our bodies from the dead. He gives us a new body. He gives us a new body. And we're going to be living with Him forever. That's the hope. That's the ultimate healing. Everything in the meantime is a temporary reprieve. Sometimes you catch a break and you get a healing for a little while. Eventually you will pass away. Right? Lazarus was raised from the dead and passed away sometime after. That's the truth. And so the healing ministry of the church is to visit the sick and the afflicted who are in pain to be the hands of Jesus To a needy and dying world and to be used to give hope to the world with the gospel, which is the ultimate and final solution for our ailments. Also, this whole notion of visiting the sick has a connotation of of empathy. right? You, You see the suffering, you're there with them, you empathize with the afflicted. I've noticed, this is anecdotal, okay, that a lot of people who hold to this type of teaching have a sort of almost dismissive, happy-go-lucky attitude, you know. Um, I've seen preachers say, uh, you got cancer? What did this guy say? He said it in such a way that I I found it so aggravating and annoying, but he said something like, cancer is not bad news for you. It's bad news for the cancer because you're a child of God. You know, and he said it in such a dismissive, almost like non-empathy way, right, that is almost like completely contrary to this idea that we are to be the hands of Christ, visiting the sick and the afflicted, weeping with those who weep, you know, making light of things is, I believe, a horrible result of this type of teaching. Right? Making light of something as serious as that can be. You know, if if you're poor, if you're broke, you know, I'm not going to give you money. But if you give me some seed money, God is going to... That type of making light of pain is, I believe, a horrible result. And we've gotten so used to it that we don't see it because we're desensitized. But it is an awful result of these types of teaching, of taking the Bible lightly and not looking at Scripture in its context and in what it actually has to say. We're never to have or make light of people's pains and sufferings in such a way. We are there to be with them and to pray for them and to empathize with their pain as if it was our pain. That's the whole point. So uh, the healing ministry of the church is to be the hands of Christ to a dying and a sick world and to offer the hope of the gospel to a dying world that needs to hear this truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your scriptures, Lord. We thank you that you have given us a word and preserved it down to this day, Lord. We thank you for the men that come before us, that have preached it, interpreted it, wrote it down, Lord, and vouchsafe your teachings and your doctrines all the way down to our day. We pray, Lord, that you may help us be your hands and your feet to this dying world, Lord, that we may be able to reach out to the afflicted and to the needy, Lord, that we never make light of pain and suffering, and that we always may be your heart, your mind, your hands to a dying world, Lord, and that this hope that we have that is found in the gospel, that we may be able to share it, with a dying world that they may find the same hope that we have found in Jesus name we pray amen
0: thank you for listening to the followers of the way podcast if you like more information about followers of the way church visit our facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash church again that's www.facebook.com forward slash church We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us
1: here at Followers of the Way.